invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. We're kind of continuing uh, just a little little quick uh, series on revival. Uh, July, we've kind of been focusing on that. Our song of the month has been Revive Us Again, which is a good song, one of my favorites. Uh, revival or not, it's just a favorite song. Um, but anyways, we had, of course, mid-month, we had uh, Colonel Willis with us, uh, who, uh, again, was a blessing to, to be with us here and sharing God's Word. And so we've been kind of looking on Sunday evenings especially, kind of the theme of revival from Psalm chapter 85. And uh, there's two verses we've really been kind of looking at together, and we're going to be moving on from that today. And the, so the title of tonight's message is The Fruit of Revival. Again, what's the outcome? When God has met with us, what is the fruit of that? How do we know we've experienced revival? It's, it's, it's kind of a little test. Um, I just want to kind of say this, that how many of you, and we talked about this some weeks ago, how many heard about the Asbury revival that happened earlier this year? A couple of you folks, okay. So Asbury, this is in Kentucky. Uh, it's a, um, um, I'm going to forget now, it's a, basically a Methodist school um, that's there. It's kind of a more conservative Methodist uh, uh, church that's, or uh, denomination that's there, their college. And uh, there was, I think it was back in February is when it occurred that there was a, a an awakening, if you will, a, a revival of sorts. And um, it was basically after a, a chapel had happened at, on campus that people didn't leave and go to class, didn't go to lunch. They just kind of stuck around and kept praying, kept weep, weeping, and just uh, were just full of, uh, of focus. And so that lasted for hours and then continued on and People and students started hanging around and kept coming back and forth to the chapel for times of prayer and music and uh, uh, just uh, some testimonies that happened during that time. Uh, supposedly there were people who got saved, had some people who had gotten right with the Lord, um, but there was just some, some movement there. Now, this is not the first time that's happened at Asbury. It's, it's kind of come and gone through the years. Uh, and it's kind of a college too, and I'm not going to say too much about it without being there, but it, it, it seems like they kind of look for that as well. They're kind of, you know, anticipating. There's some schools that kind of, oh, we, we're, we're going to have revival now. You know, they kind of get hyped up in that. Nonetheless, it got a lot of attention very quickly because there were people who literally flew in to be there at the college to kind of get an experience or, if you will, experience the revival that took place. People around, they actually had to shut down roads uh, and highways around there because there was so many people that came in. Um, different news organizations come in. What was interesting, I thought, was there were certain, uh, I guess you would say, well-known Christian musicians and singers uh, in today's Christian world, at least, uh, that even offered to come, hey, I'll come and play some music for you or, or sing for you guys or whatever. And they said, no, we just want this to be kind of right here on campus. It's, so nothing extra special. And the question is this, was this really a revival um, that, that did take place? And the, I, I would say the jury is still out on it in, in regards to that because sometimes we think of the emotional side of revival where, you know, people are coming forward, people are getting saved, people are making decisions, and they're crying, and you see that the emotional side of it. But is there really a lasting change? And I think that's really the litmus test of a revival is, is there really lasting change in an individual when they have met with God? I guess that's probably the way to explain it here. Uh, and so whether or not it's a revival, even the president, even the college president says, was this really a revival? And his answer was more or less, let's see in 10 years, which I think that's a good answer. Let's see in 10 years. Let's see if this really took, took root 
in people's lives. Like I said, sometimes you hear about these these revivals that happen, and it's a fly by night. They come, they have a great meeting, and all that, and then you go on the next week, and it's like almost nothing happened. Well, I don't know if there was really a revival then. You just had a meeting. You got excited, okay? <laughs> all right. So let's kind of go back. This is a little bit of a review. Uh, let's look at, um, actually, before we go on to the text tonight, let's start in verses 6 and 7. Uh, this is kind of what we've been focusing on for the past couple of weeks. It says in verse 6, Will not thou not wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. So let's talk briefly about what is revival. Revive us again. So what is revival? Revival, this is my definition, but... Um, do with it as you think, but I think it, it kind of at least, uh, when we see in Scripture what I see at least, revival is the outpouring of God's Spirit working to conform and transform the believer into the image of His dear Son. Uh, with that, true revival is the response to sin. That's what you see, uh, whether it be the children of Israel or in revivals like the Great Awakening, for example. Uh, revival is a response. A true revival is a response to sin. Hey, we have sinned or our people have sinned. Lord, we come to you. We confess it. We repent. And Lord, heal us. Give us mercy. Okay? You see that very much. Also, true revival must be based on sound doctrine, based on the Word of God. Okay? So this is very, very important. Um, uh, there was uh, one, one little story I'll, I'll share with this. I had heard a missionary report giving this back in oh, some years ago now. But in South Africa, there was some evangelist revivalist that was going around in South Africa and uh, had um, did some preaching, and the, the people were up in a, a frenzy. They were all excited about what he was saying, and he basically commanded them towards the end of the meeting to go out in the fields and eat grass like sheep. Because he was applying that the Lord is our shepherd, and we're like sheep, and he leads us into green pastures. So therefore, feed, you should eat of that. I mean, and you say, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. But the way he preached it, I mean, people followed him. All right? And, and uh, people did it. Unfortunately, what's the tragedy of that? So many people got sick. There was actually a few people who lost their lives because of doing that. I mean, that's the tragedy part of that. But he claimed to be a Christian, a revivalist, a preacher, and all that. And there's all kinds of things, folks, that are done in the name of Christ that have no business taking place. And people are, are not discerning enough to know what's going on. So this is why, and we say this here at Victory Baptist Church, our authority is the Scriptures. This is what we go by, and we try to, as much as we can, do a correct interpretation of Scripture and that we can live thereby, okay? So here's the point. Revival must be based on sound doctrine. That what took place in South Africa, that was not a revival, that was a hospital visit, okay? <laughs> Anyways, also we see true revival is not just emotional. There is an emotional side to revival, but it's based on really obedience to the Word of God. That's why I think the president there at Asbury, let's see in 10 years. Let's see if these people who made decisions are still obedient to the Lord 10 years later. Has there been a significant, long-lasting change in their life? Talking about what we, we did this morning, actually for the past messages in the book of Romans 8, that's exactly what revival, the output of revival is this. You're living not according to flesh. You're living according to the Spirit. You have a revived life that continues on in the direction of obedience to God. God is pleased with that. So, who is revival for? Again, wilt thou not revive us again? This is a simple, wonderful prayer for revival. Verse 6. Uh, it's not man-made. It's given by God. We cannot generate revival. Just because we put something on the calendar does not mean that we are making revival. Okay? 
like I've said, my prayer has been here at Victory Baptist. Any event, anything that we do here at Victory Baptist, my prayer is that the hand of the Lord will be upon it. Would it be one of our services that we do, an outreach that we do? Whatever it may be, I want to see God's hand upon it. I want his blessing. Uh, let's not go without his blessing. Okay? Uh, and so with that, it recognizes one may and should pray revival and have expectations, godly expectations. When do we pray for revival? This is kind of a, uh, looking at the path, verses 1 through 3 in this, we pray for revival and we remember the great things that God has done for us in the past. Verses 1 through 3 is talking about Israel's past, how that God had brought back the captivity uh, from probably, most likely talking about the Babylonian captivity. Jewish people are coming back. God has forgiven them. They are rebuilding their temple. There's a sense of revival that's taking place there. Uh, we should pray for revival when we sense that when we are, we are under a cloud of divine displeasure or evident lack of blessing, are we noticing, hey, man, God is, there's something missing here. We need God's blessing. And if we sense that, we should definitely pray for revival. Uh, when we turn back, this is what Warren Worsby says, when we turn back to God, repent, confess our sins, he turns back to us and he restores us. This is the work of revival. And the idea of revival really is the idea of restoration. It literally means in Hebrew, is leshuv is the infinitive. Leshuv means to turn back. Uh, and so this is the idea. We are turning back to God. It's a restoration, if you will, to bring something back what it once was or even better. Uh, and actually, I, when we look at the next couple of verses here, we're going to see that, that really the outcome of revival, the fruit of revival is that really we are left better than when we were. Okay, pretty, pretty amazing when you see God's work. What should we pray for in a revival? When we pray for the revival, again, that God's work would begin in us. We mentioned that in verses 4 through 7, that the word us, and I challenge you if you haven't done already, mark or write or somehow indicate there are six times that the word us is mentioned. Verse 4 says, turn us, O God of our salvation, cause that anger toward us to cease. Uh, going ver verse 6 again, wilt thou not revive us again? So six times in those quick verses there uh, that the revival must begin in us. It, we, don't, we should not look for the revival simply to start in our neighbor or in our governor. Governor Walsh definitely needs it, but okay. But nonetheless, we should not expect that God just work in other people's lives. We say, God, let that work start in me. That's the idea, in my heart. So the turn us, that's the restoration. This is the burden of prayer and identifies the workplace of revival. Where is the work of revival taking place? It's in our hearts. It's in us, in our lives. Okay, that's what to pray for. Who to pray for? We mentioned this earlier. Pray for your pastor. I appreciate that. Pray for others, other believers. Pray for the church, for the community, and also pray for yourself. Ask God to revive, strengthen against temptation and discouragement, and also to fill us with faith. Okay, what do we pray for? Is in the end of verse six, we pray for revival. Why? That the people may rejoice in thee. Okay, so when we look at this, we re we pray that God's people would rejoice. Praying for revival means praying that God's work among His people would cause them to find joy or rejoicing in nothing else than in Him. I think that's one thing we we kind of miss. We find our joy in doing other things, in other people even. And we don't find our joy in the true source of joy, and that's in, in God. And so this is the, the important part of it. So joy, again, I think is what's missing in most believers' lives. Joy is found in the hearts of the revived, though. How do you know someone has been revived? Here's a fruit of revival. They've experienced joy. They have joy in their lives. 
No matter what's going on, God has worked in their lives and they have joy. Okay? Praise, praise God for that. Uh, also, we are an out, uh, a part of the prayer is this, that God would show us his mercy. That's in verse 7. Uh, show us thy mercy, O God, grant us thy salvation. So show us thy mercy. So revival is a work of God's mercy. It's, it's not, it's, isn't earned or deserved. We didn't earn God's mercy. It's what he graciously gives us. And that is a mark of true revival. And I pray that God would open our eyes to see the need of God's mercy. Very important. Another prayer is this. Grant us thy salvation. Uh, in verse 7. True revival demonstrates that salvation is God's work. Okay? It's not my work or anyone else's or the evangelist's work. It's God's work. That is what revival is all about. So, when we pray for revival, we pray for full confidence, knowing that God can revive. We pray for boldness, pleading for God uh, with God for revival. And we pray with humility, full humility, desiring God's glory and praise and not our own. If we go through a week revival or time revival and say, man, look what God did, uh, that should be our prayer. We should look and say, man, look what Victory Baptist did this week. Uh, you know what? That's, that doesn't mean a whole lot in the end of things. We need to see what, do, what matters for eternity, God's glory and praise. Uh, and so Charles Spurgeon kind of comments on that verse, says those who were revived should rejoice not only in new life, but in the Lord who was the author of it. The Lord is the author of new life, of restoration. And for that, you should be thankful. Uh, we should be humble and also rejoicing in what he has done. So that is kind of what we've covered over the past couple of weeks here. And now we're looking at verses 8 and 9 tonight. Verse 8 and 9 says this. I will hear what God, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. So let's talk about the fruit of the revival now. Fruit of revival gives us confidence that God will respond. The outcome of revival, when you see God do a work in our hearts, the outcome, a fruit of revival, is a confidence that God will respond. I don't know about you, but the closer you get to Christ, isn't it great to know that God is there? I think it's interesting with, uh, I'm thinking with my own children, for example, that they come to me, they ask for help, they ask for this or that, or uh, sometimes on weekends they say, "Hey, Dad, can we go to the grocery or to the uh, gas station and get a slushy and icy?" Okay, uh, especially on hot days. Yeah, you know I do that because I love them. But you know if I kept saying no, 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 you know, and sometimes you have to, but eventually they would probably lose that connectivity. Or sometimes, and sometimes you got parents who treat their children very harshly, and then they're afraid to come to that. But the thing is this, we know that God will respond to us and to our requests. And that should embolden us. That should give us confidence that God does respond. So I think that's one thing we should look at revival. Fruit of revival is realizing God responds. And that's a great thing. We have a personal God. You have other people groups that worship other gods, other images, other deities, whatever it may be. I mean, do, can they really say that, yes, our God, little g, responds to us? Well, they hope so. Hopefully they're in a good mood today and get me what I want you know, or get me what I'm asking for. But ultimately, we know that our God will respond. That's a confidence we have, okay? How do we know that? It says again in verse 9, look at the very beginning. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. So God speaks. So here we are in the last section of the psalm. 
the psalmist expresses here very important things. In, in this, I will hear what God speaks. What is noted here? He expresses surrender and submission to God. The psalmist is expressing surrender and submission to God. That's really how do we get revivals when we surrender and submit to God's will, to God's work in our lives through the Spirit. So this is the proper attitude of a believer, and praying for revival is simply to surrender to the authority of God and His Word. That's really what this amounts to. You know, it sounds kind of simple. Just simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, work in my life. I, I am your servant. I'm your vessel. Fill me. Work in me. Uh, when we come to him with that, without pride, without any ego, uh, God definitely creates an environment. God can work. Remember, our hearts is the workplace of revival. Okay? So what is the key point, though, of hearing what, that God will speak? Uh, I like what Spurgeon says here. When we, when we believe that God hears us, it is but natural that we should be eager to hear him. So God speaks to us. So when, if we believe, yes, do you believe that God hears you? Probably some days you're probably thinking, God, where are you? Okay. Hello, God, I'm here. I'm in need. But God does hear us. We, do, we should believe that. And if it is that so, we should then be eager to hear from him. So here's one thing I encourage us to do as a, a fruit of revival is that when we pray, when we pray, and it's specifically for revival, I, here's a challenge. Stick around to get God's answer. If you are praying and praying specifically for a revival, stick around to get God's answer. Have you ever come seen someone where they come up and they'll ask, "Hey, you know, uh, how do I get to Wyzetta? And then they walk away. You don't even get the other person a chance to to answer. And isn't that a lot of times how we come to God? We come to God, God, I need help with you know my vehicle, for example, or I need heart. Let's be more more on a revival letter. Hey, God, I just have this root of bitterness in my heart against my brother. I, I'm just having a struggle with it. God, free me of that. And then we walk away. Wait a minute. You didn't even listen to God's answer. And so this is the thing. If we're praying for God to work in our lives, stick around and let God answer. Okay? And he will. He will respond. He will hear us. So this is very important. When we pray, stay around for God to answer. This is a, a good illustration of what we can do. I Look with me and uh, hold your place in Psalm 85. Go to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I'll give you a, an extra three minutes to find it, okay? I know it's an area we don't go to too often. If you're wondering, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. And this is really kind of an interesting idea when we think of this. Think of sticking around. You're praying to God waiting for him to answer. And the prophet Habakkuk here is really how, how should we wait for God? How should we wait for God's answer? Habakkuk chapter 2 in verses 1 and 2 kind of gives us that illustration of what it looks like to wait for God's answer when we ask, okay? Habakkuk 2 verse 1 says, the prophet says, I will stand upon my watch and set me on the tower or the watchtower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I, what I shall answer when I am reproved. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. Okay? So the idea is this, that as Habakkuk, the, the prophet, he's waiting for God to answer, and he likens himself to being on a watchtower. If you know what a watchtower is back in the ancient times, or think of even medieval times, there were watchtowers, and what's the purpose of a watchtower? You're looking for, well, a lot of things really, but... Let's say one of them, you're looking for a messenger. 
you're looking on the horizon for the answer that's supposed to come. Whether it be maybe uh, an, whether it be an army, whether it be uh, a messenger from another kingdom, whatever it may be, you're out there simply looking for an answer, and that's the idea. You're there expecting news from the Lord. That's the idea. So Habakkuk is here. He's ready as a as, as a watchman on the watchtower, looking for that answer. And so when we wait for God, when we pray and say, "God, show me, answer me, answer my prayer," God, I want revival in my heart. We don't simply just walk away and go back, you know, to do our own thing. Let's stay there for a little bit. And like the watchman, keep a lookout. God will speak, and he does here. Uh, one story I want to share with you. This is uh, some dear friends of ours. They actually passed away just a couple years ago. Uh, his name is Dick and Carla Dean up in the Brainerd area. Dick and Carla Dean, uh, dear friends of ours, they live just out west of, of Brainerd. And uh, I remember going to their home one time and... Uh, Anyways, Dick, if there was, if I could ever kind of circle, this is a person of prayer. Dick, Dean, and Carl, his wife, were the epitome of prayer warriors. I mean, you could tell that they had been with the Lord. When you're around him, if you're around him for five, ten minutes, he would probably bring up something about what he's been praying for and how God has answered that. That would come up in his conversation, okay? So, but one thing he did in his... Uh, in his house, he actually, they lived in a, in a um, kind of a, a trailer for a while, but they built their own home. And one thing that he did is he actually built a, uh, what looked like a watchtower at his home. And he called it the upper room. That, and, and he went up there, actually, it was still under construction when we first went up there. But anyways, he put windows on, and it was up about, you know, a little bit of the second story. But you could see above the tree line that was there. And so Dick, his his goal was this. I built this because this is going to be my place of prayer in my watchtower. He called it the upper room is what he called it. And so knowing Dick, that's exactly what he would do. He lived a life of prayer up until the very end for he and his, and his wife, Carla. His, his wife uh, ended up with Alzheimer's and uh, he cared for her uh, really up until the end. And then both of them passed actually within a few months of each other. But nonetheless, these, this was a man who waited for God to speak. He was not in a hurry. Dick Dean was never in a hurry. He simply prayed and waited for God to answer. I think that's, I mean, I'll tell you what, that's a rebuke. Every time I was around Dick, I felt about this big, you know, in my prayer life, okay? Maybe you know someone like that in your own life, uh, someone you've met like that. What an example for us. But here's the thing. When we are looking for God to speak is this. What a joy it is to know that our God does speak. Our God speaks, doesn't he? Our God speaks to us. He speaks to us, obviously, through, through his word. I like what the book of Hebrews said, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners or many ways spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath at these last days spoken to us by his Son, that's Jesus, whom he had appointed heir of all things, whom he had made the worlds. So we know that through Jesus. How do we know that God speaks? You look at the person of Jesus Christ who the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a blessing it is to know that God speaks. God has, shared, has declared his message and his plan in many ways. He sent angels. He sends prophets. He sends preachers. He sends everything. But ultimately, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be that spokesman. So God has spoken to us through that. So very, very, very important. If I just turn it back to... Uh, Psalm 85, as we see this here, our prayer is this, I, I will hear what, God, what, the Lord, what God the Lord will speak. 
What will God speak? What does he say? Here's the outcome, the fruit of the revival now. What should you listen for? What should you look for when God speaks? It says here in verse 8, For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. So the idea that he will speak peace. The psalmist here was confident in the goodness of God. When you think about the peace, that shalom that God gives, the peace that passes all understanding, that's, uh, that's the essence of his goodness, of God's goodness. The fact that God speaks to his own, to his saints, to the godly is really the idea. But he speaks to us. That should humble us. That fact should simply humble us and then also surrender people into his saints. This, this is something that we should say, God, you are so great. We are so small. Thank you for the peace that you give. So an out, outflow of revival is peace that he gives. So the thing is this. You came out of revival. Do you have peace? Do you have that peace of God? that he has worked in your life, that you're waiting for. Okay, look for that. Look for what he speaks. Also, it says here in verse 8 that at the very end, but he, but let them not return again to folly. Okay, so what this means is this. The people who were in folly, remember at the very beginning uh, that they were, the, Jew, the Jewish people were in captivity and they had come back from that. Why did they go into captivity? Basically because they turned to folly. Okay, they were... Wicked, all right? They were worshiping other gods. They were living a life of foolishness, all right? And so here's the thing. The prayer is this, that when we hear God speak, he will not turn them again or let them turn again to folly. So in other words, those who are, are revived is the idea. They receive peace. They hear God speak, and God works in their lives to not let them turn back to folly. So we are assured, and this is a confident work of God. It says in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. In other words, God does not abandon his work in his people. That's the point. If, he, if someone comes to God with a broken heart, to a contrite heart, a repentant heart is the idea, God will not cast that person away and leave them to their own devices. God will work and continue work in, in our life. So here's the point, though. Being that we have received God's revival, received his joy, received his peace, let us be careful not to abuse the mercy of God by sinning any more against him. Just as Israel used to turn to idols, let us not go back to that. We talk, actually, it beautifully fits with Romans 8. Let us not, even though we are sinners saved by grace and the Holy Spirit lives within us, let us not go back to the way we once were. Even though our own flesh likes to drag us that way, let us not do that. Let us not abuse the grace of God. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I think it's, a, it's beautiful how this passage goes with Romans 8 and Roman, Romans 6 for that matter too. So nonetheless, very important, let us not abuse the mercy of God. So let us not turn back to folly. That should be a prayer. And for those that have been revived, the revived person should want nothing to do with that, going back to that old life. They are wanting to live according to the Lord, and God is there to help them. It's, it's a work of the Lord. Also, what else does God speak? What else does God say? And this is a message. Look with me in verse 9. It says, Surely his salvation, or salvation of the Lord, is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. So here's another thing that God speaks, or the outcome of that, or a fruit of revival, is that God's salvation, his deliverance, is nigh them that fear him. That's his own. 
Okay? So in other words, this is referring to the humble and surrendered people of God enjoy the nearness of his salvation. When you see God's salvation, is it not, it's not something from afar, is it? It's very personal. That God works deeply within our hearts personally. That's why he sent us his Holy Spirit. That's why, going back to Romans 8, that's why we can cry, Abba, Father. He is that close and he wants, the, the outcome revival is that we should draw ever closer to God and have that close and intimate relationship with him. And as God moves among his people this way, glory would dwell in the land. And that's the thing. A revived people would experience the glory of God. That's the idea. So his salvation is nigh to them that fear him. What a blessing. And then the final thing, another fruit here that we have, at least in these verses, is that glory would dwell in the land. So what does this mean? This is what, and I was trying to figure out how to best quote it, and I praise God for Adam Clark, you know, commentator who wrote about this. And I said, this sums it up well. What does it mean that the glory would dwell in the land? It's talking about, remember, what is revival? It's really God's restoration. So listen to what Adam Clark writes about this verse. He says that the glory may dwell in our land. This is that thy worship may be restored. The temple rebuilt, the divine Shekinah, or the symbol of the presence of God, resume its place. Remember what happened after the captivity. The Jewish people came back and did what? They built the temple. Okay, let's continue on. I love this quote by Clark. He says, The pure and undefiled religion of God preached, professed, and experienced in a nation is the glory of that land. Let me say that again. The pure and undefiled religion of God that's preached, professed, and experienced in a nation is the glory of that land. In other words, the glory of the land is simply a people who follow the Lord, who are close to the Lord. The prophet Haggai said that the glory of the latter house, the temple built after the return from Babylon, should be greater than the glory of the former, of that built by Solomon. But as a building, it was far inferior to the former. Remember this? When they built that second temple, it was Zerubbabel. Remember the mixed reaction? There were people who rejoiced that there was a temple, but you had the old timers who, man, that's nothing compared to what we saw at Solomon's temple. This ain't much of a temple, folks. But what did Haggai say, the prophet? He said this, that it had a superior glory. This had a greater glory. Why? Because it was going to be visited by the glory of all, Jesus Christ. And that was the glory that excelled. So here's the thing. This is talking about that restoration. It's better than it even was before. Even Solomon's temple was great and beautiful. Zerubbabel's temple is so-so. Herod built it on grand scale. Whoever's not seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in their life, according to the Babylonian Talmud. But guess what? There's another temple that's supposed to be built right now. In the next maybe a couple years, it's uh, by a couple groups in Israel. But as glorious as that temple will be, that's still nothing compared to Jesus Christ, whose presence glorifies the temple. It's not so much the building itself as the presence of God that's in it. That's it. Where's the temple of God right now? It's you and me. And what is the glory that's revealed in us? God's presence, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory. That is what, that's what's amazing. So when we see revival, folks, it's understanding that God's presence is in us. And when we walk with him, God's glory shines. That's the fruit of revival, folks. You're walking with God. God's glory is in you, and it shines. And other people notice it. Said, man, there's something different. I think, again, of Dick and Carla Dean. God's glory is in them because they walked with God.
closely. They prayed and they were looking for God to answer and God to speak. They were looking for that. They waited for that. He was never in a hurry. And he waited for that. And when you're around Dick Dean, says, man, this man has been with God. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of my own life? i got to check my toes. They've been stepped on, okay? But seriously, that's an important thing. So let's wrap this all up with this thought tonight. The fruit of revival is confidence in God that hope is restored. The children of Israel had hope again. And I believe we have hope. When we experience revival, you have the hope of God. And that the hope is secured. Also, help is at hand. The nearness of God's salvation is there with you. Praise God for his deliverance. Yes, you are saved from sin. We think of salvation as a one-time event. But doesn't God continually work in deliverance in our lives? One day there's going to be an ultimate salvation. We're with him in glory, folks. Uh, God's work of salvation is not quite done in our lives. There is, a, again, a positional uh, salvation we have. But one day it's going to be even greater. It's going to be greater. Praise God for that. And with that, honor is restored. God's people, the children of Israel, guess what? They were not much of an honor for the Lord, were they? With the way they lived their lives and the way they followed other gods and did their own thing. And remember what the book of Judges, every man and woman and child did that which is right in their own eyes. Not much of an honor for the Lord. But guess what? When God does the work of revival, that honor is restored. And in the end, it's glorious and it's even better than it was before. So folks, that's the fruit of revival. Just out of those two verses. Praise God for that. There's much more that can be said. Uh, mercy and truth are, are met together. Uh, just a beautiful passage uh, that's still yet to come. Maybe we'll get to it uh, a little bit later. But uh, praise God for the work of revival.